Today we begin a new sermon series called Wholehearted Faith in a Divided World. Our scripture lesson comes from the prophet Micah. In this scripture, the people of God are in dialogue with God. They're asking God what God wants from them. And this verse from Micah 6, 8 is how God answers. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. May God bless this reading to our understanding. A clergy friend of mine officiated for uh, a family friend's wedding. It was out in Southern California. It was in an outdoor venue. This wedding took place a couple of years ago, and my friend had pastored several different churches in his adult life, and along the way, they made some good family friends, and the family friends asked him to come and preside over the nuptials of their young son. The day of the wedding came, the flowers were in place, the candles were lit, the music had begun, and the guests were seated. Just a couple of minutes, maybe six, seven minutes, before the bride would come and walk down the aisle, the mother of the bride approached my friend, the minister. Take off that black robe. My friend was startled. He always wore a robe. At every wedding, he explained to the mother of the bride that this robe was a Christian symbol, that it was a reminder both to the couple about to repeat their vows and to all who had gathered for the wedding, that this marriage was a gift from God, a sacrament. Take off the robe. The mother of the bride was not in the mood to negotiate or get a theology lesson. And my friend realized that with time ticking, he had no choice. He took off the robe and officiated at the beautiful wedding. This story of the wedding reminds me of how all of us have a tendency to segment our lives into different sections. This over here is secular. This over here is sacred. And what about a marriage? Is it private and personal? Is it about fashion and friendship? Or is it mostly spiritual? Our culture provides for a wedding to be either. A wedding can take place in the courthouse with the justice of the peace or a judge, or it can be a religious ceremony in a church or in some other sacred setting in a synagogue. But in this particular wedding, the couple had chosen to have a minister to pray over them, to make this a sacred ceremony where they would say their vows, not just to each other, but to God but at least one guest saw this primarily as secular, not sacred, primarily as a private matter, not a public proclamation of God's divine presence in human relationships. Now, it may sound like I'm picking on the mother of the bride, and I might be, but I suspect that all of us fall into this practice of segmenting our lives, of, of feeling like there are fragments of life, some over here, some over there. A, a friend of mine told me just this summer that wherever she is, she feels the tug 
to be someplace else. When she's with her children playing in the yard after school, she wonders, should I still be at my desk getting that report ready that the boss needs in the morning? And when she stays late at the office to finish up some projects, she feels guilty that she's not at soccer practice with her son. And when she pauses on the weekend to read a book and to to relax a little bit, she feels guilty because she really wants to help the problem of houselessness in our city by volunteering. As modern Americans, we can find ourselves pulled in many different directions. We can feel distracted and torn, like we have divided loyalties. And sometimes, with all these tugs, with all these fragments, it feels like we're giving our heart to nothing, our whole heart to nothing. Today's scripture lesson from the prophet Micah seeks to answer the question, what then shall we do? What does God require? What does God want from us? The people of God pose a question to God. What is expected of us? The people question God saying, shall I bring an offering? Shall I bring an expensive gift? Shall I bring a lavish and extravagant sum to God? Shall I bring my own family members? And the prophet answers the question on God's behalf. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God? What does God require? Now, this word require in Hebrew is dara. And it does not refer to requirements in the way our culture sometimes uses that word. It is not a mechanical requirement, like, you know, you're required to bring your driver's license to clear airport security, or you're required to complete Algebra 1 before you enroll in Algebra 2. In the Bible, the word require is different. It's about desire, longing, seeking, craving. What does God long for? What does God seek? What does God desire? And what God desires and longs for is not for them to bring God anything at all. What God seeks, what God craves, is for them to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. God desires behavior. Do something. God desires relationship. That word that we have heard from the Hebrew about relationship is the word hesed, which refers to the kind of loyal love that unfolds in a beautiful marriage where the couple clings to one another for life in mutual affection and devotion. God wants them to do something, to walk. And that word walk is the word halakha, which is the same word for ethics, a way of walking through this life with integrity. Oh, it would be so much easier to write a check to Venmo someone some money, to donate a herd of sheep I don't need, or a plot of land I'm no longer farming. But instead, God seeks my whole life. God doesn't want a thing from me. God wants me. God doesn't want a thing from you. God wants you. God will not be placated with me sectioning off a little part of myself to say my prayers in the morning. God wants the whole of me for the whole day. God does not ask us only to go to church on Sunday and check a box and pray in private, but to give the all of us 
Every single step we take in this life, every action, even our pocketbooks, our time, our devotion, our whole self to God. God calls us and claims us and loves us and empowers us to become God's expression of kindness and justice in this world today. Religion is not what we do on the side. It is the whole of our lives. We walk humbly with God as we behave ethically in the courtroom, whether we're the judge or the prosecutor or the defender or the defendant or the witness. God asks for the whole of us in the real estate transaction where we can be truthful and honest and fair. God acts for the whole of us when we're on aisle seven in the grocery store at 5.30 and everyone is feeling hangry and the toddler is having a meltdown. God asks for the whole of us on a Saturday night with dinner, shared with a lover, with a spouse, with a friend, a friend who needs a listening ear, our full attention there isn't a part of life that we can exclude from walking with God. I love this story that is told by Nina Totenberg in her recent book. She tells it as a story of friendship, but to me, it's a story about walking with God, about daily ethics. Nina explains that in 1988, the elite social club, the Cosmos Club in Washington, D.C., decided that it would break its 110-year-old tradition of only admitting men to the club. It had been a prestigious club for men of notoriety in the sciences, the arts, and public affairs. And now that women were being admitted, a friend wanted to nominate her for membership. She wasn't all that interested in becoming a member, but she felt the pressure from her friends, so she said, sure, you can nominate me. And after her nomination was submitted, she learned that even one member could no vote and you would not be extended an invitation. And she did not get an invitation to join the club. And then she was hurt. And she told her friend Ruth about it, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was on the Supreme Court. And a few years later, Ruth was called and invited to the club, and they gave Ruth a tour of the club. And at the end of the tour, they invited Ruth, please join our club. And she crossed her arms and said, I think I will decline. A club that is too good for Nina Totenberg is too good for me. Now, Ruth never told Nina what she had done. Ruth, Nina only found out about it from a mutual friend and then she learned that Ruth was staying true to her values, to her friendship, loyal, honest, clear with herself. She could not divide her heart. This is what's good for me, and this is what's good for my friend. She behaved with wholeheartedness. This morning, you heard David Forsey talk about the next 100 Gifts Extension. David has inspired me over the last five years. I have seen David and the team, and I have seen all of you express wholeheartedly your deep love for God and for this church, 
your wholehearted commitment for us to be a congregation that does justice, loves kindness, and walks humbly with God. I have seen you do this in so many ways, not just with your prayers, but with your bank accounts, not just with your time, but by walking alongside others in friendship on this journey of faith, I have seen you serving food to the hungry, reaching out to those in our congregation who are ill or grieving and bringing hot meals. When our faith works, when it really works, we do not feel fragmented. We know that everything we do is an expression of our walk alongside God, an expression of our wholehearted faith. But actually, I think Micah asks from us the impossible. None of us really completely reaches this state, at least not through this life, where we give our whole selves to God. Even Mother Teresa in her journals confessed that she had so many doubts about God. We are all people who get pulled in different directions. We spend our days on sports and work and family and community service and exercise and attending Bible study and going to small group. But most days, we're simply juggling all these demands as fast as we can. We're segmenting off a little time for this important matter and a little time for that. We're spending a little bit of our money over here on vacation and some of it here on charitable contributions. Does God ever claim the whole of us, our whole hearts? Do we ever completely fall in love with God and walk daily with God? so that we are certain that the fullness of God fills us with breath and life and love. Not always, not always. This summer, I spent two weeks in Tanzania volunteering with the Lutheran Church. The Lutherans are the leading Protestant group in that country in East Africa. 11% of people in Tanzania are Lutheran, and they fill their churches on Sundays with huge crowds. While I was there, I got to go to worship with them, I got to teach and preach among them, but mostly what I did was learn about the extraordinary work that the Lutherans are doing to reach out to those children, youth, and young adults who were born with something like cerebral palsy, which is 17% more prevalent there than here to those who are born with Down syndrome, to those who are born with severe autism. They help everyone, these Lutherans. They don't just help the Lutherans. They help everyone, whether they're from a tribal religion, the Catholic Church, the Muslims, they help everyone. And one day, in addition to visiting these various centers in the community where these children, youth, and adults gather each day for really complex, holistic services, they took me to the home of a young single mother who just so happened to be Muslim. She was beautiful, the most beautiful face, dressed in the flowered cotton dress that is native to Tanzania. But I could see in her eyes, her worry, her stress, her grief, just a couple of days before we arrived, this young single mother of three children had lost her mother, her sole support, both emotionally and financially. 
Her mother had died unexpectedly. And she had this four-year-old boy still in diapers with cerebral palsy. She had this nine-year-old boy still in diapers with cerebral palsy and severe autism. And she had a little girl in between who seemed to be developmentally on track. The social workers on our team had been working with this mother for weeks, and they had come in that day with a plan. They explained, we can enroll both of your sons in this program. They will get the, the education, the, the nutrition, all the medical services that they need in this program Monday through Friday from 8 to 5. And they also explained that they had brought with them 10-pound bags of rice and beans and cooking oil and a huge box of diapers to help support this mother until she could get her children in this program and be able to leave the home and go out and work and support her family. She agreed to the plan. And then before we left, they asked the mom, would you like prayer? Yes, I would be wonderful. Please, I would like prayers. And the leader of the team turned and looked at me and said, go ahead. I shook my head. I couldn't even speak, let alone pray. And so I shook my head. You do it, I said. We bowed our heads. We began to pray. They prayed in Swahili. I prayed in my silent English. I prayed as tears streamed down my face. I prayed that I would stop crying before this prayer ended. I prayed that this mother would find the strength that she needed to get through this horrific situation. I prayed for these children. And then when the prayer was over, the mother hugged me. I spoke to her some words of comfort and support. And we got in the car and we drove away. And I asked the team, now what? How is she going to get her children to this program? She has no car. There's no way she can get those boys on a bus. How is this going to happen? And they said, oh, yeah, good question. We've contacted a woman about 30 miles from here in the Catholic Church, and she has agreed to pay every day for the tuk-tuk transport that will take these two little boys to and from the program in the morning and in the afternoon. And I was dumbfounded. Here was a Catholic woman helping the Lutheran Church help the Muslim single mother. And just for a moment, for a brief moment, I knew for absolute certain that deeply joyful sensation of God claiming our whole heart.